Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Podcast, presented by Canon Press. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Douglas Wilson. This is episode 307. Can you believe 307? Thank you for joining me. It's good to have you. Good to have you along. As I am recording this, well, I need to tell you that I record these a month at a time. So this is the first one. So you'll it'll probably be timely enough, but sometimes I'll have to say as I'm recording this and it might be a month out because these drop weekly. Anyway, as I'm recording this, just the other day, just yesterday, I think it was, um, somebody uh, had rummaged through some old uh, footage and come up with a clip of uh, Nancy Wilson giving some parenting advice at a small conference that we'd he- held here in Moscow. And she gave this, uh, she was giving this advice about helping your children learn how to discipline their emotions. And uh, the, the clip had her explaining how she went over to pick up our youngest daughter, Rachel, who was on a play date at a friend's house. And she uh, reacted with an, uh, when her mom showed up. And so Nancy took her home and disciplined her. And the next time and walked her through how that's not going to be the response that we have and so forth. And, um, and then went back the next time and everything was great. Right. So this was an aspect of our parenting philosophy, which is that you don't just discipline for actions, you also discipline for attitudes and emotions. And when you discipline for attitudes and emotions, you are helping your children learn how to control themselves. You're instilling self-control, and they need parental help uh, initially as, as uh, this process is starting. Well, anyway, it was just a few minutes uh, clip, and someone posted that, and the thing went nuts on Twitter. I just checked it uh, earlier today and it was just shy of 3 million views. (laughs) So this is the spanking that went viral. Now, what, what is going on? As I, as I meditated on this, as I was thinking about it, it struck me that the precious, our, our generation's precious would have to be our sacrosanct emotions. Our emotions must be untethered, undisciplined, unbridled. And it is seen as the height of tyranny. So when when a mom steps in and disciplines her child for having a moany attitude or a whiny attitude about going home, our reflex action is to see that as mom being a tyrant, mom demanding that uh, the child render uh, render her her uh, appropriate levels uh, levels of love and and so on now before saying anything more about this i can understand how some people who did, really did grow up in a manipulative home where children were disciplined because they were not fulfilling mom or dad's neediness yeah that yeah that's really bad but Godly discipline from parents does is is more like this. I love you too much to let you go out into the world reacting that way. And so then if if you consider the the like the emotional 
warp spasm that was on display in the comments thread underneath this uh, this video clip where people just went absolutely nuts. Nothing is more apparent than the fact that a number of parents 20 years ago, 30 years ago, whatever it was, failed to take Nancy's advice and failed to teach their children to control themselves emotionally. And the thing that's interesting is this, um, <laughs> this is why I left the effing church, you effing on a blim blam, you know, um, that kind of thing. The, these are the people who are describing themselves as the sensitive, caring Christians, the compassionate Christians, or they used to be Christians, but they left because of the harsh Christians, and they, but they left in the name of empathy. They left in the name of sensitivity and caring. So this is a drumbeat that I think you sh you should expect to be hearing from me and from those of us in Moscow for some time to come. The problem is not sympathy. The problem is not compassion. The problem is not kindness. The problem is untethered empathy, untethered sympathy, untethered kindness. We are we are all sinners, and what we do, everything we do, even those things that we consider to be the good things love, kindness, compassion, need to be tethered to the Word of God. Because being hard and severe, yeah, there's a good, good and godly form of that. But untethered, it's going to turn into harshness and malice. Kindness, has any, has any parent or any teacher or any authority ever destroyed a child through indulgence? Yeah, absolutely. And so, consequently, this is just a textbook uh, case. I, and I, I'll probably re refer to it a number of times uh, in the years to come because it really illustrates where we are. Americans are now living in accordance with their passions, and they don't want any restrictions whatever on those passions. That's They just, <laughs> the, the passions are the queen. Always will be God. So continuing with the podcast, episode 307, as you really ought to know by now, hamartiology is the study of Greek words for sins in the New Testament. And this is the reputable hamartiology, as opposed to the kind that goes bar crawling on Saturday night. That's another form of hamartiology, another form of studying sin. Um, but we, we are doing the lofty kind, the respectable kind. The word today is kakia, K-A. K-I-A, K-A-K-I-A, and it is usually rendered in the, in the KJV as meaning malice or wickedness, malice or wickedness. Now, Paul teaches uh, that Christians still keep the Passover, but they do so in a spiritual way. In the Old Testament, you'd keep the Passover with the Passover lamb, putting blood on the doorposts and so on, cleansing your house of all leaven, not just keeping leaven out of the food, but keep getting leaven out of the house. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 5, 8. He says, Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness. There's our word. Neither with the leaven of kakia, the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. 1 Corinthians 5, 8. A few chapters later, Paul says that he wants to be, he wants us to be adults in our knowledge, but like little children when it comes to the deviousness of malice. He says, 1 Corinthians 14, 20, Brethren, be not children in understanding. 
Howbeit in malice, be ye children, but in understanding, be men. When it comes to malice, we should be naive. When it comes to malice, we should be childlike. When it comes to malice, we should be innocent and untutored. When it comes to life in general, we should be not children in our understanding. We should be knowledge, knowledgeable and wise and so forth. But when it comes to malice, we should be neophytes. We should be newbies. Scripture often tells us to deal with sin in a pretty straightforward way, uh, and this sin is included in that. Uh, what do I mean? Well, the Bible tells us to just put it away. And so I've got three uh, verses that address this sin, along with some others, uh, in this straightforward way. Ephesians 4.31, Colossians 3.8, and oh, no, four, four verses. 1 Peter 2.1, and then James 1.21. Go over that again. Ephesians 4.31, Colossians 3.8, 1 Peter 2.1, and James 1.21. So here they are. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. There's the first one. All malice. Kakia. Put malice away. And notice what Paul's saying. Just put it away. (laughs) Pick it up. Take it off. Put it away. Then Colossians. But now ye also put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. So right in the middle there, put off these, anger, wrath, malice. There's our word, put malice off. Then, 1 Peter 2, Wherefore, laying aside all malice, and all guile, and hypocrisies, and envies, and all evil speaking. Some of us might say, well, this, that's, this is seeming pretty simplistic. What are the apostles telling us to do? You know this anger, malice, wrath, all these things you do? Put them away. Drop it. Put that down. And then James. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. Now, there's our word, kakia. Therefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, kakia, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. So, in four places, we are told to put malice away. Just take it off like it was a dirty shirt. Take it off and put it away. And we are to put it away because this is how non-believers live. This is how non-believers live. Titus 3.3, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy. There it is. Living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. All right, Titus 3.3. 3. So th- that's, the, that's characteristic of a non-believer's life, and so consequently we shouldn't live that way. Then Romans one twenty nine and 1 Peter 2.16, and this again is the description of an unbeliever's life, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, there's our word, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers. Okay? Maliciousness, there's kakia. And then 1 Peter 2.16, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Okay? So this is rendered in different places. This one word is uh, rendered some places malice and other other places maliciousness. And there's one odd use of this word in the Lord's Sermon on the Mount. And uh, it might be giving us some more information than we usually assume. And it might not. I'm not sure. What do I mean? Well, Matthew 6.34, 
Take therefore no thought, take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Kakia. And there is, I've always taken that as simply trouble or difficulty, but this trouble or difficulty may have, there may be an element, element of some enemy is bringing something bad, bad to you. There may be an element of malice in it. So don't worry about what bad people might do to you now because there'll be plenty tomorrow. And then Peter uses the word when Simon tried to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit. And here it is rend- the word is rendered as wickedness. Acts 8.22 Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, kakia, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. God don't never change. He's God. So, carrying on with, um, with episode 307 in the podcast, we come now to our book review. Uh, the book review this uh, time around is a new release, a young adult fiction release by Canon Press, Forbidden Child by Gwen Newell. Forbidden Child by Gwen Newell. This is a good book, and I recommend it heartily, but I want to put some, um, I guess, guardrails or qualifications on it. And this is going to sound funny, but it's a, this book is a dystopia, you know, Brave New World. 1984. This book is a dystopia for kids. It's a dystopia for kids. If you have a very sensitive child, and this very sensitive child loves to read and is very impressionable and uh, has (laughs) any book or movie they see makes a big impression, but they're very sensitive and are very tender, you might want to keep this book away from them because this book does have some Dark themes. It's dystopic. Uh, it's got a happy ending. It's it's a it's not a. Uh, there's a way out, but it's a pretty long tunnel. Uh, getting, making your way out. The basic setup is a. Uh, there's been a great flood a number of years before, and some people have escaped the flood by getting onto uh, refurbished ocean liners, and they've become these these um, cruise liners have become self-contained cities, and they've been sailing around for decades in this self-contained city. And on this particular ship, uh, a ship called the Escape, it is run by a totalitarian woman named the Godmother who basically is adored and worshipped by all the uh, people she's manipulating and controlling. It's a hellish uh, sort of place. And the the protagonist of the book is a uh, young girl named Piper Pascal, and her parents are deceased. They died a number of years before, and she is one of the uh, you know Nazi youth. She's she's one of the snitches or spies or investigators that they use to keep order on the ship. And through a series of um, events, she comes across a baby that has been born illegally and the mother has been uh, the mother has been killed the father has been taken away and, and killed executed also and uh, this uh, young girl finds herself with a baby and a choice and she decides to protect the baby hide the baby if the baby is um, 
turned over, the baby will be killed and a bunch of pe other people will die. And that's the, that's the setup. She is trying to do two things. She's trying to save the baby and she's trying to extricate herself from all her instilled loyalties. And, and it's, um, it was really well done where she wobbles back and forth <laughs> through, the, through the book where she, she can't turn the baby over but she accuses herself for being treasonous to the cause and that sort of thing. Now, why would any kid want to read this? Well, sensitive or not. Well, I think it's a really healthy exercise for the kids who can enjoy the adventure and can learn from how grim it is because they're growing up in a world like that. Uh, this is not, you, you can shelter your kids sort of indefinitely until they come for you. And then you find that by sheltering them in a particular way, you didn't prepare them for what was coming. So this is a, uh, this is a good book, recommended. Look it over before you just hand it out indiscriminately to everyone. It might be, there might be some age appropriateness issues that you want to weigh or sensitivity issues if you have a, um, a delicate flower of a child. But generally speaking, the average average Christian kid uh, should be able to handle this and enjoy it. Mm -hmm.